Well, good morning again, church. It is great to be here with you this morning. If you're a guest and you walked in a little bit late, things are a little different this morning, but we are super excited that you are joining us today. Uh, welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Rich. I have the privilege to serve as a campus pastor here in Tunkhannock. We hope that you enjoy your time with us today, and we hope that you find your time with us beneficial for your life, that you will see like, ah, I am so glad I made a decision to come and hang with these guys today. Gang, as we get open, open your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to be getting at then, and then a few minutes in verse 34. Matthew 22, 34. If you grab the Bible on the way in, you will find on page 675. 675. We are in week three of our Marked series. I don't know about you, every time I hear that and he says someone just shout Mark, I just want to shout Marked uh, because it's, I've been marked by God and that's the whole idea of this series. What does it mean for you and I to have our lives marked by Jesus? That's a very hard question to live out if you ask me. What does it mean for your life? To be lived out as if it's been marked by Jesus. If you said yes to Jesus, you have been marked. And so what, how does it impact our lives? How does it impact the lives of the people around us? Do they look into our lives and say, okay, you have definitely been marked by Jesus. I'm not talking about marked like you're a little crazy, okay? But I, what does it mean to be marked by Jesus? And if you've missed any of these conversations, week one or week two, I want to encourage you to head to our podcast, I don't know if we have, you know we have a podcast or not, uh, but it's free to listen to, free to download, free to share with people. Uh, we believe as we put that out there so the most people possible can hear about the message of hope of Jesus Christ. So that's always there. It'll be there Sunday afternoon. But I want to encourage you to go back and fill in the blanks of some of the parts that we have talked about, like in week one, setting the foundation about who we are in Jesus. It's all about who we are before we do anything for Jesus. And last week, Adam was here, and he shared a very very, very opening and a very sore spot for many, many people. I know when it comes to forgiveness, it's very easy to say and a little harder to do in life. Um, so he walked us through that. And today we're going to be digging a little bit further. But simply to be marked by Jesus means we're, we are owned by him. We belong to him. We love him and we live for him. And there is clear evidence of that truth in our lives. As, it, as we come to Jesus and we realize that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, that we need to surrender our lives to him, he implants within us, he, he gives us, he marks us, he anoints us with his spirit. He seals us with his spirit. And that means we have been marked by Jesus. And then when we come to Jesus and we open up the book of truth, and this is God's word, sometimes we need to go back to the basics when it comes to God. We complex, we can make things complicated too much. We need to come back and say, okay, what does it mean to live for you? Am I living my life in a way of the worthiness that you have called me in Jesus Christ? And sometimes we got to be real and raw with ourselves when we ask ourselves those questions. Okay, am I, am, I, am I living that out? Are there spaces in my life where I have decided to live for myself or I don't give God access? And maybe it's time to open up those doors and step in those empty rooms and say, okay, i got to give this back to God and realign my life back to what he's, how he's called me to live. If I say I've been marked by Jesus. 
So this morning, as we get into it, I'm going to ask you to join me in standing, and we're going to read the verses that I believe wrap around this. I know this is a little bit different. We're getting our church calisthenics in, up, down, here we go, right? But here's the thing. You know, so often I read verses, and you're seeing them on the screen. You know, when it comes to situations like this, when reading verses like this, understanding who we are in Jesus, I want the words coming across your lips, I want you saying them out loud. I want them to wash over your life for, so you can understand when you head out those doors and head into real life, what, it, what God is calling to do if you have said yes to Jesus. So starting at Ephesians chapter four at verse one, and we can, I'll start us off and you just kind of read along with me. As a prisoner to the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship, to lift up your name and to praise you and to learn from your word how you have called your church to live. God, these are very convicting verses. I mean, if we just stop and listen to the words that came across our lips, man, this should mark our life. So as I pray, God, as we step into your word this morning, as you will open our hearts and our minds to your truth, that we'll see where we need to start making some changes and we'll be honest and real about it, that we won't deflect it, that we'll take on the challenge from your word and you'll show us what that looks like and how to make it through. God, we lift it up to you this morning. It's all about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So go ahead and grab a seat. Today we're digging a little bit deeper, and, and if I'm going to be honest, you know, last week hurt, this week's going to sting. You know, I kind of love these series that really kind of make, I'm glad I came to church. You keep on poking me where it hurts, and that's what we're supposed to do because that's what words God does, but it's going to sting a little bit this morning because simply, in Jesus, we have been marked by love. In Jesus, we have been marked by love. We've been marked by such a great love so we can show a, such a great love to others. But you and I have some obstacles to overcome actually what meaning and living out what it means to love people. We have some obstacles because we've been grown up and we've been trained that love is an emotion. A love is an emotion like, oh, I love you, I heart you, right? We wrote those notes in grade school. Some of us still read them to our spouses. I love you, right? So we've trained it to ourselves to think that love is an emotion. But truly, and when I open up the word truth, when I dig into the scripture, when I try to figure out what Jesus says about love, it says love is an action. And more than that, when Jesus, I think, truly lived this out, love is a way of life. Love is a way of life. It's not an emotion. It's a way of life. It's how you and I decide to live every single day. See, one of the most simplistic and most impactful characteristics of Jesus is his love. His love for you, 
his love for me, his love for all humanity. We've been marked by such great love, and it's very, very simple. And we, we, sometimes, we, again, we have been overcomplicated in the whole situation. We need to uncomplicate it. We need to uncomplex the whole situation when it comes to loving like Jesus. Because we've done a really good job of adding all sorts of things and boundaries. And so we don't have to truly show the love of Jesus or live that out in our lives. But it, when it comes to Jesus in our lives with him, our lives need to reflect the same love that he has shown us. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, well, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, right, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we, while we lived for ourselves, while we rejected him, maybe even hated him, cursed him, he said, I love you. <laughs> and that needs to be the mark of our lives. Regardless of how we feel, we need to love all those around us. And if we're sitting here this morning and we say that we're a follower of Jesus, we've given him our lives, I don't know how we can justify living any different than our Savior. You know what I mean? It seems obvious. Like, this is how he lived his love for us, and he's called us to live that love out for the people around us. You know, this leads us in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of the four gospels of the beginning of the New Testament. Gospel meaning good news. And they're called good news because we talk about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hung around Jesus and they understood what it meant to live around Jesus. And they took the life of Jesus and they put it down in books. They shared his word. So it's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so as we step into the scripture this morning, we step into the scripture of Matthew 22, Jesus is in the temple courts, the temple courts of the temple of Jerusalem. This is a very religious space for the Jewish faith. Just the day before this, Jesus was again, and he was having a conversation, and he actually walks in, and he sees these money changers making a living off of being deceptive and robbing people, and he walks over to this, and he flips the tables, and he clears out the, the temple courts and says, this is not a house of den or robbers. It's a house of prayer, right? So he is in there making a statement from who he is and why he is there, and so he clears everybody out. Well, the next day he comes back. See, Jesus isn't done. He comes back and he starts having a teaching session with the people around them. The master teacher is on the scene and in the session's in place and it's time for them to listen and it's time for you and I to listen. But here's the, here's the problem when it, when it comes to classrooms and teachers. There's always students who push back, isn't there? You, uh, I mean, come on, teach, ra teachers, raise your hand. If you work in a classroom and you know about kids, you, okay, amen. And I have those students who, who are, I was one of those students, I'm so sorry, right? You push back, you push your teachers to the limit and you're trying to re you know, reject the things that they're saying. You're causing havoc, you're causing problems, you're rejecting their authority. I mean, that was just my entire life growing up in grade school. And I, and what would your mom say about this? You know, she's the, the president of the school board and, and I would say things like, well, 
I live with her. She knows what I'm like. Detention. So, you know, you have those kind of things, and, and so you have those things in classrooms. Well, well, Jesus had those people too. See, Jesus showed up on the scene, he started teaching some truth. And he had some people in his world that were always pushing back at him, rejecting his authority, telling him, trying to find ways to, to trip him up so they can get him arrested and get him out of there and get this whole Jesus thing, this kingdom of God thing out of their way. And so he, he dealt with this. And those two groups are called Sadducees and Pharisees. Well, you know, as I read through this, and I read about these Sadducees and Pharisees who are questioning Jesus, pushing back his authority and his, how he's called his people to truly live. You know, I'm challenged to think that, that maybe that sounds like a lot like you and I. It sounds a lot like you and I. Because we can, you know, how many times have we opened up the Bible and God has called us to live differently, but we chose not to? How many times have we read scripture and we like, Jesus is like, okay, this is what I've called you to do. And you're like, what? We become masters of deflection when it comes to the reality of what we're called to do. Hey, Rich, did you do that? No, it was Steve, my brother. Hey, do you think, Rich, you think, no, I'm in class. No, it was Tommy over there. He's the one who shot the airplane, not me. We have become masters of deflection. And unfortunately, we carry that into the scripture. You know, we're, we're reading and we're deflecting because we look at this. And so I want to be very clear this morning. And as we read through and think that Jesus is debunking these religious leaders of Sadducees and Pharisees at the time, as we read these verses and think that he is calling out the hypocrisy in their lives, I want us to know, I want you to know, I want me to know, I want this church to know these words of Jesus Christ is just as he's pointing his divine finger in the chest of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, pointing back to them, he's also talking to you and I. So please don't deflect this. These are the words of Jesus, the master teacher himself, our Lord and Savior. And as much as we want to deflect them to other people, it's like, aha, I know it. They don't live that way. I want us to be honest. Understand that Jesus is talking to you and I. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, look at the screen. It says, on hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Okay, here we go, guys. We're going to pull everybody together. One of them, an expert of the law, of this, which is the scripture, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Okay, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Teacher, what, you, what is the greatest commandment? Let's, let's see if we can get you. Let's see if we can twist things around. Let me see if we can catch you off guard. It's just simple. You love God with your, all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Being experts in Scripture, Jesus responded with Scripture. That he used a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The Pharisees would have known this. They would have understood this. This was an obvious answer to them. 
Because this verse that in Deuteronomy was a foundational verse in their relationship with God. They knew that. They memorized. In fact, they were told to teach it to their children. They were told to teach it to their grandchildren. It would be on their lips when they walked, when they sat, when they lied down. This command, to them, they would have known and it understood. It means a total devotion to God. Notice the word all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And just so you know, I, again, I like to be deflecting. I like to find the loopholes and get out of things. Um, so I looked up the word all in the original Greek. I want to okay, there's got to be something. Maybe it means maybe. Maybe it means like there's, you know, in most circumstances. Maybe it means that there's some way I can get out of loving God with my everything. And then I was like, no. You know what all means? All. <laughs> I wonder if these Sadducees and Pharisees loved God with their all. I wonder if we love God with our all, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, have we ever stopped and just asked God, God, am I loving you with my everything? See, I don't think we ask those kind of questions because the answer might hurt. God, am I loving you with my everything? See, I don't think these guys loved God with their everything. In fact, it's gonna prove himself down the road. This could have been a chance that these guys were missing something. And if we're honest, there could be a chance that we're missing something. See, God is not satisfied with anything less than our all. He wants all of us. He wants us to praise him with our lives. And then Jesus starts to expand what this may look like. Look at verse 38 on the screen. It says, and this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. The second is like it, meaning it's the same importance, it's the same thing. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This isn't awesome, okay? This is really, really simple Jesus. What Jesus did is simply reveal that the great commandment from God is actually broken out and lived out in two simple parts. We love God and we love people. We love God and we love people with our everything. Now it gets a little challenging this morning. See, this would have been a slap in the face to the Pharisees, by the way. This would have been a slap in their face. They were all about their high position and their deep connection with God. They're all about how we know the Old Testament. We got the scripture memorized. They're all about standing on street corners and standing there and lifting up high and lofty prayers. 
But at the same time, they turned around and they rejected an entire population of people. They looked down on the very people right next to them. They had these prayers of self-righteousness, but they despised people, rejected the people who were next to them. They called them scum of the earth, disease and disown. And, and they, absolutely, if you read through the scriptures, you see how they constantly rebuked Jesus for reaching the same people they rejected. So this was a slap in the face to them. He says, you need to love God with your all, and that's lived out by loving others with your all. This includes the people you deem unworthy. These includes the people that you don't feel are good enough. These are people that you just naturally just reject because they're not like you. And he said something, he goes, okay, and everything you hold to, friends, the law and the prophets, means the Old Testament scripture, man, that hangs on what I just revealed to you. John Piper says this, all of creation and, redemp- and all of redemption hang on these two commandments. All of God's purposes and plans hang on these two commandments. Everything that Jesus is built on, the foundation of who he is, hangs on the balance. This is why Jesus hung on the cross. So what do we do? So what do you and I do when we're challenged with this? As followers of Jesus, we have given a clear directive in life to love God and to love people. That is our mission. That's what we can call to do. And we have complicated this so much. So we have the great commandments, and then we have what the church has called the Great Commission. And these two commands by God are directly related because they call us to live out, live out this love. And this is normally found in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. And was, this was after Jesus was uh, nailed to the cross, put in a tomb, rose from the grave, and before he ascended to heaven, he gave a very clear command to his people to go make disciples of all nations. Okay, I've called you to love me with you everything and love people. Now I'm going to tell you how do you truly love people. You go and tell people about me. Proclaim the word of life to those around you. See, friends, we are marked by the greatest love ever known, to share the greatest love with everyone we have ever known. catch that if we have said yes to Jesus we have been marked by the greatest love ever known and we've been called to share the greatest love with everyone we've ever known these are the marching orders of our Lord and Savior they're deeply connected so what I want to do in the last few minutes of our conversation this morning I want to walk through two different principles that we can put in action into our life to show how we live this love out. First one is this, the proximity principle. The proximity principle. 
In verse 39, Jesus says, we are to love your neighbor as yourself. This is huge. This is what we can call the do. Our neighbors, people around us, should know and feel the love of Jesus through us. And the proximity principle is very simple. It states that when we live close to others, the people who are around us, we start building interpersonal relationships with them. And as we start building interpersonal relationships with them, we start building those out. We have influence and leverage for the kingdom. And so when people know you and they look into your life, they see that you are living this mark of love out in your life and in their lives. It's a part of the fabric of who we truly are. It's how we live. Remember I said it, it's, a, it's a way of life. And so we have an opportunity to talk to people in our lives and our neighbors, who people who don't know who Jesus is. This is an opportunity to live that love right in front of them. And I want to be really, really clear about something. This is not a bait and switch thing, all right? This is not a bait and switch thing. We don't have a little Jesus in the box. Like, I'm going to love my neighbor, love my name, and love my name, and love my name. Surprise, Jesus! I mean, it doesn't do that. You can't do that. You got to, they need to know who you are. Because if you're genuine, friends, if you're, if you're genuine and you care about them, they're going to understand, like, what you believe. They're not going to outright reject you. Some might, but most won't. Because if you just act like Jesus in every situation, you can pull something out that you never thought was imaginable, but Jesus knew was possible. Let the Holy Spirit be the living and breathing part of your relationship. So it's our neighbors, the people right next to us. But we, if we stop here, we miss it. So it's not just loving our neighbors and the people right next door. It's loving our neighborhoods. And loving our neighborhoods. All the who are around us are connected to us in our daily living. Neighborhood living includes your coworkers, your classmates, the waitress at the restaurants that you always visit, your clerk at Dunkin' that everyone, many of you go to every Sunday morning, drink your coffee or before you go to school or before you go to work, you go to Dunkin'. That's who I'm talking about. People that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis. That is your neighborhood. Why do you think we spend so much time in, to connect with our community? Because this community is our neighborhood. And we want to talk to them and love them and like Jesus. You know, I've talked about this in the past, but the people around us are placed near us for a reason. You're right where you're at for a purpose. You have neighbors. You have coworkers. You have family members, okay? You know, God has put us in position. That's what neighboring is, understanding the people around us, understanding the people that God's put into our lives. So we can love God with our all and love them with our all. Let's, let's break it even. What if Jesus, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant love your neighbor? I mean, come on. Well, if that's what he meant, 
When he said love your neighbor, he actually meant, okay, I want you to love your neighbor. Oh. You mean I don't go yell at them? I don't treat them? I don't slam them? No, you love them. See how simple it is? We just complicated it. The second principle is the kindness principle. The kindness principle. We talk a lot about praying, investing, inviting in the lives of people around you with a proximity principle. We're talking about that, right? Look like to be marked by God with your neighbors. How can we invest in their lives? Being kind. Listen, I don't mean that you just meet your neighbors for an opportunity to share the gospel, okay? That's, that's, that's that bait and switch that I talk about. You know, it's simply, simply in getting into their lives. You invest in their lives and your neighbors because the people around you are worth it. Man, I have an amazing neighbor, Bill. I have an amazing neighbor, Bill. Now, he knows who I am and what I do, but we have connected in a way that I never thought possible just because I choose to love him. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like he outplays me. He loves me more. That frustrates me. He came up to me the other day, and I'm out there taking our dog out, and he goes, hey, Rich, just wanted to point out that tree's got a crack in it. You're probably going to have to kick that down. I'm like, what do you mean it's got a crack in it? He goes, oh, I was sleeping the other night, and I heard it pop in the middle of the night, so I came and checked it out. <laughs> what? I was snoring. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, really, really simple. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.23. It's a marker of us who are growing to be more like Jesus. Kindness is simply the quality of being beneficial to someone else's life. To be good to them, to bring good into their lives, being generous to them. And as we live this out, again, it's, it's not a surprise Jesus kind of thing. And they know who we are. The kindest thing we can do after we built this loving, investing relationship with them, the kindest thing that we can do is share the hope of Christ. Because we built leverage. We built a relationship. Relationships give you access and accountability so you can have these conversations. My, my neighbor Bill going through, was going through some health issues. I invite him to church all the time. I just stop and say, Bill, can I pray with you? Can I pray with you right now in the middle of our yard? And he goes, absolutely. See, that's the kindness principle. That's what exactly what I'm talking about. Look at, look at this verse in at the book of Acts. Look at these verses. Um, this was just after the birth of the church. Jesus and company, Jesus and the disciples were all telling people about this risen Christ. They're, they were saying, okay, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And what they did, what happened is they were pulled in front of these Sadducees and Pharisees called the Sanhedrin, right? The same people who rejected Jesus. The same people. And he's, he's pulled in front of them for, because he healed some guy who was lame. And I want, you to re, I want you to see these verses. Peter, look at this in verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if, I, if we are being called to account for the act of what? Kindness shown to a man who was lame after being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, amen, that this man stands before you healed. 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing in front of people who absolutely rejected and hated everything that he stood for, he said, you know what? This is an act of kindness because I had an opportunity to heal someone who was broke. Church, let me just ask you something. Do we have a message that heals the broken? Do we have a message that heals the lame? Do we have a message that has been given us that takes people from death to life? Do we have a message that when people embrace it for themselves, their lives are radically changed at that moment, right then, right there, and they spend eternity with God? Do we have such a message? Then why don't we share it? If the kindest thing that we can do is take the opportunities that God has given us and the people who are in front of us to share the message of hope, why don't we do it? What are we afraid of? I think it was Penn from Penn and Teller. I don't know if you remember those guys, um, comedians. I think it was Penn, though. He's a proclaiming atheist meaning he doesn't believe that God exists. And he, he said, quoted and saying, how much do we have to hate someone not to share the love of Jesus with them? This is coming from someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is real. Here, here's the truth I want you to walk out of this morning and ringing in your ears for the rest of this week. We fully express our love for God when we fully express his love to others. We fully express our love, love God with all our soul, our mind, and our strength, you know, and, and, and all that kind of, I'm gonna give it all to him that is truly lived out when we express that same love to others. And if we walk around and, and act like the Pharisees, like there's people beneath us, we've missed it. If we walk around and, and live like the Sadducees trying to make up their own ways, their own things, of, their own ideas of living is what they did, we've missed it. We fully express our love for God, our everything to him. We fully express that love to others around us. So here's what I want you to do. On your seats this morning are those invite cards. Go ahead and grab them. Again, sometimes we don't see them. We just, they're stuck right here. What's the kindest thing you can do with this invite card? You can put it in the hands of someone that you know that needs to know and love and to love and experience it for themselves of Jesus Christ in their life. So you give these out, we're two weeks away from the greatest celebration that we can have this year of Jesus Christ rising from the grave, that he lives that we can live through him. Also, when you walked in, you saw this big metal bin and it's full of ping pong balls. 
And then behind it is this thing that says, found people, find people. What we've asked people over the years is to take a ping pong ball and write the name of someone that you're praying for to accept Jesus or needs Jesus in their life. And we've put them in there and you're committing to pray for that person. So right now, every single one of you have someone that you want to invite that, don't, that doesn't know Jesus. I want you not only to invite them, I want you to write their name on a ping pong ball and put it in the box and commit to pray for them. And the blue ones that are out in there are all the people that have accepted Jesus Christ in the last five years, 98. People that have been prayed for, invested in, and invited, and they came to know Jesus. That's the challenge. We fully express our love to God when we fully express his love to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. God, I know there's been a lot of changes. Things are different this morning, but you, your word has been proclaimed. We worship you. We praise your name, and may you be glorified. God, some of the things I said this morning could be rough. It could be rubbing our, my skin. I know <laughs> it rubs my skin like sandpaper. Um, not some pretty lotion, and uh, it hurts. But it's the reality of how we need to continue to working, becoming more like your son and loving people. I love this church, Lord, and I love the fact that we are people who love others. And so I pray for the next couple of weeks as we have an opportunity to reach out and express that love to others that we do it. We'll be in, show an act of kindness and we'll take the opportunity to be bold and invite them to come and join us for Easter services not just to fill a room because we know that a day your name will be proclaimed. The truth that Jesus changes, everything will be shared and we pray and we pray and we pray that lives will be changed. We love you and we worship you. In your son's name I pray, amen.